I guess we're recording on my end too. Nice. So I guess it's time to start. Okay. So another day, another dollar. <laughs> I guess first off, I want to throw a little thank you out to some people I don't know who gave me some feedback through people I do know saying that this podcast has been influential in their guiding. It's always humbling to hear that. Mostly just makes me feel like I'm not crazy. Like, oh, what I'm saying is not crazy. It may be a little bit, but that's cool. Um, so it kind of gave me a little inspiration to kind of maybe put a couple more episodes out. And then who better to put an episode out with than Silas Rossi sitting on the other side of my screen. Good morning. I'm sure there are a couple people that's better to put an episode out with, but I'm the one that's available. You're the one that's available. I feel like we do a pretty good job. And I, I know like some people have heard some episodes with Silas, but just to throw this out there, Silas uh, started and owns Alpine Logic based out of New Paltz in the Gunks at the moment, travels all over the place to do all kinds of things. He also recently, in the last year and a half, the timing is all fuzzy to me now, started the Ascend program, which is a great place to find community and get mentorship kind of virtually. And then that could also be in person on various different levels um, with content that's made that you can see like videos and stuff like that, but also like in-person group conversations regularly scheduled with various topics and sometimes guests. Um, so it's a great place to kind of get into some mentorship from Silas. Also, he just launched Ascend Pro specifically geared towards guides and instructors who once again are looking for mentorship may not be anywhere near Silas wants to tap into that knowledge bank um, and have something that is, you know, kind of ongoing because mentorship is rarely just a one and done. Um, sometimes you can mic drop a thing on somebody and just walk away, but oftentimes it needs some constant attention like a garden. So um I would definitely check out Silas's uh, Ascend program, whether you're a recreational user or you're a professional, and go from there. So, thanks. The more, the more you help Silas out, the more it helps me out. So that's all I say. <laughs> we we all we all benefit by building community for sure, and that's what those memberships are all about. Yep. Yes, it's it's been it's been really interesting the last year and a half, like diving into being a certified life coach. Um, it's been a whole new ball of wax for me that's been really fun and rewarding so i appreciate the shout out wow certified life coach trauma-informed life coach yep <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> i mostly have a bs in life that's kind of my credential <laughs> <laughs> anyways uh, let's let's enough with the chit chat because i know some folks are like we like it because as soon as you start recording it's just content so we've done the get to the business let's get to the content so <laughs> The topic today, which was, I think about a lot, and especially the last couple years, both personally kind of getting re-reminded, re-reminded about things in the field, like, oh, right, forget, like, this is the process that really works. Um, let's start from there. But also dealing with a lot of recreational users who are interested in, in becoming more competent and moving in the mountains, but also guides and instructors who are trying to be more competent in doing their job um 
And it's kind of like back to this decision-making framework or pieces of a decision-making framework. And the topic today is about scale. Um, and I know that there'll be many threads that have come out of other episodes I've done that probably come into here. And certainly know Silas has made some comments on some of our conversations already um, that also link to this. Um, but I, I think I wanted to read a, a quote first before we got into it um, from Malcolm Gladwell. It came off an episode where he talked to an astronaut on his podcast, which was pretty good um, on the um, Revisionist History podcast, I believe. And it says, pay attention to the scale you choose. Creativity begins when we give attention to things previously unnoticed. And the thing that I really liked about that is that we're talking about scale, but we can choose the scale in which we are, are trying to interact with. Um, and I think that's really important um, when we think about how do we think about scale in the context of making the decision, um, whatever the decision is, um, when we're guiding. And Silas mentioned something um, in one of the previous episodes where it's like, there's kind of like three steps. There's like macro, mezzo, and then micro, right? So we're kind of starting big picture, middle ground, little details. And if you really think about that progression, it's really like a funnel. So scale can be there, choosing where we are within that scale, which one of those components we are in. But also what micro is can be really different. Like if we're talking about the planet as a whole, micro can be a huge piece of terrain or whatever, right? Or if we're talking about what's right in front of us, micro can also be very, very small, like literally small relative to us. So we can choose where we place that scale within a scale. That makes sense. Yeah, anyway, totally subjective, right? Absolutely. Yeah. All right, Silas, what are your thoughts on this this whole just concept of scale? Yeah, I think a lot of times, you know, I, I just got back from this board meeting for the AMGA in Boulder uh, late last night, early this morning. Um, and we talked about strategic planning of the organization, which is growing rapidly because Hannah had had some financial struggles recently and we're kind of recalibrating. And we actually talked about this exact sequence of working from big picture down to small picture, right? And so I think that's where we have to start is just understanding that the more we can zoom out and see the bigger picture all the time, the more easily we can calibrate what to do next, like inside a context of what has to happen. Um, through developing this vision longer term. Like if you're just doing stuff minute to minute, day to day without a long-term vision, how do you know if the stuff you're doing or not is in alignment with where you want to go, right? So, you know, specifically in this instance, we talked about a five-year plan, a one-year plan, and then inside this one-year plan, quarterly plans to get there eventually. And of course, you can always adjust along the way, but the point is you have to start not with what's right in front of you, but actually like zooming back out. And I kind of envision like Google Maps or Apple Maps, right? You can like pinch the screen and you zoom way out and you've got a broader perspective. And we've talked about this before, but if you can see the big picture, then you can work down to your point, like funneling down into the details of what has to happen to fit into that big picture vision. 
Nice. Yeah, I mean, I, I was taking this mountain weather forecasting course um, a couple of years ago, and uh, Jim Woodmansey, who taught it, is really knowledgeable. And he's like, we don't start with the snow total in a specific place. That's not where we start with the forecast. We zoom all the way out to the jet stream and look at the big picture and the big patterns that are happening. And then we start drilling down through the layers going more and more into this funnel until we can actually get to the point where like, okay, in this valley, we think we're going to get this amount of snow accumulation out of this storm versus over here, right? But it doesn't start um, necessarily at the in the in the smallest area. It certainly yeah, doesn't I start think, in the middle. I think that helps a lot with the why also, right? Like you can teach someone a technique or a thing to do but if they don't understand the why behind the concept that they're doing it, it doesn't really solidify as easily or make much sense. So to your point, like the snow forecast, like if you just look at a gully and you measure the snow depth, it's like, well, okay, we don't know how that got there or why that snow depth is what it is. So if we can zoom out, it, it almost like automatically defines the why, which is really useful. Yeah, I, def I have a whole episode on that. Like if we don't have the why, we don't really know where we're going, right? Yeah, and totally. one of the things I find, and this is also linked to another episode I've done, it's called white noise, which talks about this. We're talking about scale, macro, micro, and then the white noise to me is the middle. Most people start their decision-making process kind of in the middle. And that's fine. You can do that, but it's a longer, fuzzier process because you're kind of focusing in, in on things that you're not quite ready to do yet you haven't gone far enough out to understand the why. And one of the things that's really important to me when I think about macro is um, it's really less important to recognize how things are different, but it's more important to understand how they're all the same. And by zooming further out and going macro, you get that sense how things are actually the same and not different. And it's a great actually philosophy for life in general whether it's being with people or whatever it is, but it's like, you can't memorize a solution for every specific problem or specific situation. Now there are always situations that are outliers and completely unique, but almost all the time, there are some common big principle threads that you can pull out and go, Oh, that's, that's the why that's the thing I need to create a solution for. I'm going out big enough and now I can start drilling into adding that, like whether it's a terrain piece or a technique piece or a tool piece from there. And that's, that's where it's really important to me. So regardless of what you're doing, try to understand the power of how things are the same and not different. And that's where scale becomes really powerful to me. Yeah, I, I totally agree. You know, one data point is not really that useful, right? It, it's, it's helpful to know data points sometimes, but really you want to see trends and the way to see trends is to see patterns, right? Like pattern recognition helps you make good decisions. So, you know, in terrain, we talked about this in short roping, I think like terrain repeats itself at a certain magnitude because of the geology of an area. So if you can, again, just zoom out a little bit more, perhaps um, you can start seeing patterns that you wouldn't see if your head is like in the middle here. So I, th I think you're right. Like, I think it's hard to, the level of detail, I think, sometimes that we focus on is simultaneously too small and simultaneously too big. 
like the reason ropes get tangled or um, that sort of thing is that we haven't focused on the smaller details as well. But you have to have a hierarchy, right? You have to work from the big picture to the middle ground to the details so that they're all in alignment. Um, yeah, I, like I think like on the macro sense, talking seasonality wise like to me the the basis of like being in the mountains is if you're in the right place at the right time in a big picture context things are going to go kind of the way you want them to go um, but if you blow that big picture um, location and timing um, no matter how good you are it's gonna be really challenging to make that as a good situation yeah absolutely i think your comment about trend is really key and you know in the mountains we really only have big levers and blunt hammers at our disposal to make decisions. Like we can't really out tech the mountain. We can't out tech the weather. We have some amazing, powerful tools that help us give some more clarity, but really when I'm making the decision, I'm going to super macro so I can see, you know, something that I can actually hit and be right in terms of making the decision. And that's usually very, very basic tools. So like, for example, back to weather, like, just seeing a high cirrus cloud doesn't tell me anything besides there's a high cirrus cloud. So if I don't watch the trend, okay, is the cirrus cloud all of a sudden is the sky like filling in and dropping? Okay, now I have a trend towards potentially precip and worse weather, right? Or do the cirrus clouds just go away? Like, so we have to look at these very simple tools, these big picture tools, but also notice the trend. And I think the other part of scale with this is time. Like when we're talking about the time of looking at clouds, for example, that might be over several hours or a whole day worth of time. If it's an interaction with a human being who's nervous right now, that time, that scale piece of time is very short, but I'm still using the same process of going macro in that situation and drilling down to micro, even though the time frame is much smaller than some other examples we might use. So it's it's a universal principle to me regardless of the decision i'm making yeah that's great the other the other piece is that i think if you can understand what you're doing right now in the moment you know at, at the kind of like personal level if you can understand how big a deal that is to the bigger picture you can prioritize a little bit better right like if if what you're doing is actually kind of inconsequential to the big picture, then you can move with more authority and more definitiveness without worrying about getting it wrong, right? Like if you get those big picture concepts, decisions right, the smaller decisions along the way actually matter a little bit less. So that's helpful too. Um, yeah, people sometimes get kind of caught up in indecision in the moment because they lack that slightly bigger perspective on how it fits into what where they're trying to go ultimately i guess yeah yeah it's it's just been really interesting in my career watching people as they're learning how to guide or employ techniques and stuff um where the struggle point is and it's always in the middle like let's just say I'll, i'm gonna use a single pitch example you want to set up an instructor blade repel right so you're at the top of the cliff and i asked someone to do that and you know, they start like building an anchor. I'm like, whoa, 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 back up. Like what makes a rappel really useful and easy and comfortable for everybody involved? And, you know, after some deliberation, like, 
like a high anchor. Like, well, let's look for a high anchor first, you know, or can we use utilize the 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 anchors that we have here to build a high anchor? So, and if we can, it's easy, go for it. And then if it's a little bit trickier, now we can start drilling down into like, well, this could work. So here are some middle techniques to make this actually work, right? So we got to start at the big thing. Don't just dive into, you know, building an anchor. It's like, well, what are we really, what are we really looking for here? And I think is really key. One of the things I've been constantly saying to people lately is like, I need you to think bigger and I need you to think more simply because everybody keeps once again, hovering more towards the middle ground, which and their information oftentimes is correct, but I'm like, that's not simple enough. Right. I'm going to give a little example. This might go on for a minute or so. I had a client, we were going to go do some glacier work. And so we went to an area with glaciers. It was awesome. And the first night we rolled into our Airbnb, super windy. It's a very windy place. Um, lots of snow transport um, at all elevations and we spent the night. The wind didn't subside. We got up in the morning, still windy. Cause, you know, we had just flown in as, as an international trip. So we were a little groggy. So we could hear the wind all night. And the first thing I asked him in the morning was, is the wind stronger today or is it less? So the person's like, I don't know. I'm like, well, I know what the answer is right now. I haven't even been outside. And so the first thing he does is, Pulls out his phone and is like looks at the the apps like oh yesterday the forecast was for this today's a forecast for that and the wind speed is supposed to be this I'm like that's not the question they asked is it windier right now than it was yesterday and then from there we went through this whole process of drilling down but by starting really big so it's like is the snow around us is it colder snow and firmer snow or is it light fluffy snow okay it's not light fluffy snow okay so if you have a colder denser snow do you need more wind to transport it or less wind well you need more wind because it's heavier it's more bonded blah 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 okay cool like did the wind subside at all last night no did we see lots of snow transport at all elevation bands yesterday yes are we still seeing snow transport at all elevation bands today yes those are observable things so if the wind has been constant and we have this heavier snow like if the wind was less that snow wouldn't be moving anymore because all the snows that could be moved with that wind speed has already been moved. So the wind has to be higher today. We don't know how much higher. In some ways, it's irrelevant. It's just higher to have that kind of snow transport, you know, happening still at all elevation bands with the snow that we have given. It's That just has to work. So the, then it comes back to like, well, does our plan make sense? Are we where we're going and what we're doing? Does it make sense based on this data? And if we say no, then we have to go macro again, go, okay, now where are we going in the terrain set in a big picture? But if we were saying, yes, we could still do our things. Now we can start drilling down, go, oh, well, maybe we should bring more warmer clothes. Maybe we should have a thermos. Maybe we should have an extra hat or an extra thicker pair of gloves. So we're kind of going super big, super simple, and then drilling down into back down to micro, like, oh, I'm going to really find a good spot to practice these skills that gets a lot of sun and hopefully it's out of the wind, right? And and we had to stop really big. And I, I literally just looked out the window and had that answer in a split second. Of course, I've been doing this for a while, but we had to go through that process of distilling down by starting big to actually get to that answer. So, Yeah, it's a great example. I, I think a lot about, um, you know, it ha the level of focus that's required to accomplish a task is a big part of this. 
right? So if I'm really, really focused on how to say construct an anchor, my field of vision literally narrows and I can't really, I need to like block out the bigger outside picture, the bigger world, so I can focus on these details very intently. So it's actually like literally, you're literally um, closing off that bigger picture possibility, right? So um, if that's the level of detail you're working on, you're you're shutting down that bigger possibility. So that's why it's so important to really think about zooming back out all the time. It's like a nervous system response in some ways, right? And then at the same time, if the level of detail is too big, well, well, let me back up, I guess. The level of detail that's sometimes too small to your point, like you said, I want you to focus bigger and more simply, um, but also the, the place people get burned up a lot using a lot of bandwidth is often like in the mechanical things, right? Like the really manipulating carabiners, placing gear, that sort of stuff. If that micro level is really taking all your bandwidth, you don't have the ability to zoom back out even to the, the meso scale, let alone the macro. Yeah, totally. I mean, anytime I'm nervous in the field, whether it's planning a trip, especially planning, but you know, I'm usually too focused in that middle ground and I'm burning all that bandwidth. And I just like, I, it's a cue to me, like, relax, focus big again, look at the commonalities. What are we really trying to do conceptually here for this decision, this trip, whatever the thing is. And then I usually calm down once I go, oh, that this is what I'm, I'm still doing the same thing I need to do. I just was all freaked out because some variable changed and I had to readjust my scale to allow me to understand that. Um, I just had this experience the last couple of weeks skiing where the first week it was beautiful spring snow. And then the second week it got really cold and I was freaking out. And then I was like, wait, we're, I just got to go find good snow. And you know, the process is the same. So I kind of had focused back out. And then the second week, skied good cold snow, which I had not anticipated, you know? So um, at that time of year in that location. So it, it, it's, it's a lesson that we all continue to like, relearn i think yeah yeah totally I, th I think the skill is exactly that like planning well the big picture stuff executing in the field and simultaneously zooming in and out all the time and then the other piece is the training piece which is just getting really good at manipulating those micro details right putting skins on in your case putting ski crampons on um, if you can free up some bandwidth there you can zoom back out e even to mezzo to see the bigger picture right I'll give you another, uh, another quick example. Several years ago, one of guys I was working with had someone who was um, autistic and was really nervous about taking this person out rock climbing. And they came up to me at the session started. I was working with some other folks and, and they came up to me and they were like, I'm not sure what to do. And I was like, you're just taking another human being rock climbing. That's all you're doing. I was like, pick good terrain and keep a rope above them that's it. And they're like, got it. And then they end up having this like amazing session. I was like, yeah, you were too worried about the middle stuff. Like, what are you really doing here? Right. You're taking some rock climbing, keep throw up a bottom, put them on good train done. And, uh, that allowed them to, that gave them the, the freedom to, you know, free up that bandwidth so they could actually like create something more, you know, beautiful for, for both of them really for that day.
Yeah, I like that. One one example that sticks in my head, like as a, an instructor, is supervising, uh, like say a top rope session or a skills session, um, where you actually have to make sure that all the details of your group are being met, right? People being tied in, harnesses buckled correctly, belayed devices set up correctly, locked, etc. And so, the key to managing, in my mind a couple ropes or even more than a couple ropes at the same time is the bigger picture idea of being in the right place in the terrain just to see that, right? So if I step back and I stand in a place in a way that lets me see more or, or the key points and timing, then I can nail those details because I facilitated it by being in the right place. So again, it's a, it's a scale issue, right? If I if I'm more focused on just the little pieces of checking buckles and tie-in points and that sort of thing, but I'm missing the big picture of where I am in terrain relative to my people, it's just not going to work. It's just like an impossible task. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember, I, I, I don't remember if you talked about this um, on this podcast or if it was a discussion we had um, earlier at some point, but it was just kind of like how the the older wiser guide oftentimes doesn't need to be as technically savvy because you side you see a problem so far in advance typically because you're resuming so macro that you just sidestep the problem right where the the newer younger guides are so focused on the techie stuff that they they rush right in, create this scenario that they now have to solve because they didn't see the problem happening. And, and I think about my own life. It's like I was super techie focused for so long and, and really love that stuff. I kind of care. I don't care about it anymore. Um, those are just tools for me to do my job. And now I'm like, oh, well, I'm just going to avoid that scenario by just not doing it because I know what's going to happen if I if I do that thing over there. This is going to happen. I don't want to do that. So I'm just going to avoid it. And uh, it's amazing how just that allows on a macro sense for me to make simpler decisions, kind of bigger decisions that tend to be more right. Um, Cause I'm like, I just don't want to even go over there and do that for whatever yeah. reason. hundred percent. Yeah. It, it takes the experience and wisdom to know what those decisions um, mean, like what's, what's involved with those decisions. So you kind of have to go through it. Right. So you should actually expect to like get into the weeds um, with these things, especially earlier on in your career. But the goal is good to keep in mind that you're trying to avoid them <laughs> completely altogether. Right. I also think, you know, for folks who are, um, whether they're recreational users or they're guides and they're learning, this is, it's another way to look at the skills you already have. So people are like, oh, I want to learn more stuff. I'm like, you haven't fully tapped out the skills you actually have command over right now. And if you just look at a more macro level about what each one of these skills does, let's just say different forms of belaying, right? They all create friction. That's the macro. You know, they all have different ways of setting them up. That's kind of mezzo. And they all have kind of different things and properties that they do to the rope. That's kind of micro. You know, so I think it's another way of just evaluating your own skill set and be able to create more creative solutions and more varied solutions with actually a simpler, smaller toolbox. Um, and then you don't have to like just have all this data log about every single thing out there, you know, 
whether it's an anchoring style or, or a belay tool for talking more technical stuff. Um, and I find that can be a really useful way of looking at your own skill set. Um, you might find you have much more um, things at your command than you think just by going a little more macro with understanding how all those pieces work. Yeah, it's great. And the, the other context you can really like, you know, this is a, a challenging thing to like really do without outside perspective. Um, I think you can do it. You can, you can debrief your day and look at decisions you made and go back and say, okay, like that decision was a result of, of this bigger decision was a result of this bigger yet decision and so forth. And I do this a lot, um, both for my own outings, but also with other guides in a mentoring context, but also with accidents, right? Like in a, a classic, in, in my opinion, and I might get some flack for this kind of, uh, in some ways, a, a poor accident report, um, will not zoom out enough looking at what happened. They simply talk about the person repelled off the end of the rope. Okay, cool. Um, the piece of gear failed, like the, the tat anchor failed. It's like, well, yes, that's mechanically what happened. I agree. But what were the circumstances and decisions that put that person or party in that place to create the scenario where that made sense for some reason? So you, you can do this with any amount of uh, incidents, accidents, near misses. Just keep like literally like draw rings on a paper and zoom out one more level to like, why did this happen? And then what's the bigger level? Why did, why did that happen? Why was that a choice? And in a guiding context, um, a lot of those things come down to ratio. Um, you know, some near misses that I've had personally in the past, um, there aren't very many, but there are certainly a few of my career have been a result of ratio problems, right? Like if I simply had cut down the ratio of what I was trying to make happen, that problem would have not even been a possibility. <laughs> we talked about supervising ropes a minute ago. Like if I'm supervising one rope and one belayer and one climber and not having the issue of two or three ropes hanging, then I don't need to be in the right place in the terrain to be sure I can monitor all those things simultaneously. <laughs> so to your point, like simplifying along the way is really helpful and eliminating those big picture things. Um, the other thing we talked about seasonality of terrain before, but like, man, just don't go to the place the wrong time of year, right? Or the wrong time of day, like big picture concepts about where you are when um, really, really help or hurt you. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Yeah, ratios are crazy. You know, when Silas and I, when we were both younger, like we've put some big ratio days in, in a lot of different terrain. And you kind of get this like attitude, like, oh, I know how to do it. I can pull it off. And now that I'm older, I'm like, I'm like, wow, I can't believe we did that. It's just, there's too many details to actually cover well. And that doesn't mean you can't manage two or even three top ropes at a time. If you, if you set yourself up for success, be in a position of power and understand kind of the bigger things going on. But yeah, just by dropping that ratio is kind of key. You um, know, one, one really easy example there is like learning to climb and guide in Acadia where yeah. we had like Acadia mountain guides and we had Atlantic climbing school. And there were two very different philosophies on taking people into the field. Um, and you would literally be working side by side and and one party from Atlantic Climbing School would be, you know, with a party of four belaying all day, only them, no student belays, uh, and they would get much less climbing in 
but the level of control and and overall security arguably is a lot higher right and the other side is having four people and having two ropes going and students belaying each other maybe even six students like a belayer and a backup belayer um so you get way more done and uh it's just a completely different experience but but there are there's no silver bullet here right you're 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 trading one thing for the other and so i think our job as guides and climbers to some extent for sure is to balance exactly that like like what is okay to do and be fun and exciting but not be too um risky yeah that's a, a balance that's constantly changing for sure like simplicity and avoidance are the keys to reducing overall risk. So you're saying we, I, I should just stop guiding then. <laughs> well, I mean, I think we just got to be really, really honest with ourselves about how much risk we're taking and incurring in the field. And that's, for me, that's like the single biggest thing I keep coming back to the longer I do this is yes, you have to inherently uh, accept a level of risk for you and your clients in the field all the time. Um, but if I do a really good job with those big picture decisions, I can immediately, uh, cut the risk down by a significant amount. So I'm, I'm going to the Alps this summer again, and I have a whole bunch of weeks booked and, um, you know, a couple of the mountains there, there's kind of like a standard ratio that exists. Um, the Matterhorn is just default one-to-one. It, it just exists. Like that's always the case. Um, Mont Blanc generally is like two to one or better one to one or two to one. Um, but again, it depends on conditions, right? So depending on the route that you're traveling on and the conditions of that route, two to one might be appropriate, but if it gets icier, cause it's been warmer seasonally, right? You may need to go one to one just to be able to navigate that terrain in a timely enough fashion to keep moving, um, to avoid other objective risks like Serac fall long enough day, that sort of thing. Um, so, I mean, for me, the big picture decisions there in the summer right now are going earlier in the season, a seasonality sense, and reducing ratio. And I've never really been uh, one to do high ratio and make more money um, at the cost of higher ratio. But there are certainly a lot of institutions, guiding institutions, that the way they are able to make money is by having a higher ratio right? It's just simple math. Um, you could argue, arguably say that all <laughs> um, institutions, that's the case. So you just got to think about like the, the ratio and the seasonality is like the big picture, simple things to, like you said, the big levers to pull uh, in order to an, initially create an environment that is inherently lower risk or, or at least an acceptable level of risk, quote unquote. Yeah. Yeah, it's really important by the scale piece. So when we're doing these these field uh, pieces, especially bigger um, routes with the bigger objective hazards, is that you know it allows us to create more options, right? And not focus on objectives. Like objectives are cool. That gives us some you know direction to go in. But we need to you know foster options on any given day um, to accomplish something in the mountains, right? Um, yeah, I mean that's that's my business as a guide has been based on running my own business in order to attract the clientele that 
really values lower risk and high quality experience over lower price. Right. And, and, and objective too, to your point about options, like my, you know, one of my most ideal scenarios for me guiding in, in say like a place like the Alps is to have someone who's like, yeah, I'd love to climb some big peaks and I'm not really attached to like doing any specific mountain or route, whatever you think is smart and fun and challenging. Let's go do that. And I'm like, sweet game on. Yeah, Cause now perfect. I'm way less stressed because I, I know even if I don't want to, even if I'm not savvy enough or in, in touch enough to say, Ooh, that sounds scary because of these big picture reasons. I just know that I feel more pressure when I am, am confined to deliver an experience in a particular place, a particular time with a client um, that I may or may not know. Right. So the more constraints I have that limit my options, the more uncomfortable I get. And that's, that took me a long time to understand really well. Um, I just knew that I'm like, for a long time, I was like, oh, like maybe I can make it happen. Like it'll be okay. And now if I'm not a, a enthusiastic, yes, I know the answer is no. Right. I just want to be, I just want to be really comfortable about doing what we're going to be doing. Um, and I think for, you know, for a lot of young guides and instructors, you may feel uncomfortable, but not really know why or be able to articulate why. And I think you have to just value trusting your gut because the gut's saying that for a reason, <laughs> um, even if you don't know what it is yet. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Um, I've had a lot of discussion lately about glacier travel with folks for ver for whatever reason. And I think once again, we think about this scale piece kind of piggybacking on some of the things Silas said is like, I had a friend say, well, I saw this guided party in this area doing this. They were glacier roped up for glacier travel here. And then it got steep. How would you deal with this section here? And once again, if we look at, scale and go macro you're like well what are you really trying to solve here like what it, so if it's flat you're trying to not punch in the hole right so that will lead you to setting yourself up for success for different ways on the rope team and there's a lot of different ways we could do that and then you get to the steeper part well what's more what's the priority there it's probably fall hazard versus falling into a hole so you know with this ratio again can you adequately protect that fall hazard while moving at a rate that's logical to actually accomplish the task, which is climb to the, the top of this mountain and protect people? And they were kind of like, well, I don't know if I could. Well, then you probably have too many people in the room, right? And you're just not moving in the mountains appropriately. Um, and I don't want to get into a huge discussion about high ratios and low ratios about economic benefits of that, you know, that's, that's a bigger topic, but it's pretty interesting. You can actually use this scale piece to kind of like, just actually go, is this even smart? Like, can I actually do this thing? Like a lot of young guys, I think get thrust into mountainous environments um, with higher ratios and they're trying to employ all these techniques and they're not looking scale enough back because they don't have the experience set and the mentorship. They also might feel pressured that they have to do this work. Like I have to do this thing. This is what they told me I have to do. Um, but if you really scale back, you're like, I don't think I have the capacity to provide the level of security in this environment, just purely based on ratios. Right. So I think the scale piece allows you to understand that piece. That's why when I ski guide, I like to ski guide with smaller ratios. It's just too much to manage a group of 
four, five, six skiers, even though in certain terrain, it's certainly possible. It's just not worth it, right? Um, it's just too challenging for various reasons. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, when I worked at Exum a number of years ago, I thought, you know, they, they were, as an organization, um, ratios were becoming smaller as a trend overall. They used to do a lot of very high ratio, like like six to one, like on the actual Grand Teton. And I, if I recall, I may not be exactly right. I think that when I got there, it was more like four to one was was still somewhat normal. But in my first season or two, they were really great at saying, well, because you're new to this mountain and a, and a, a more fresh alpine guide, we're going to lower the ratio a lot and give you just one person and then two. Uh, and then after several years, maybe we'll get to like four people, right? Just more variables to manage. And I, th I think now the trend, you know, that was 10 years ago, I stopped going there. Um, I think that now the trend is even more so one-to-one -one and two-to-one. Um, and and part of that was that the the national park has has limits on what you can actually charge per person um, in a group setting to make it more uh, affordable, to make it more approachable, which is a great concept in theory. Um, but that does create, again, looking at the bigger picture, that mandate creates some pressure for a company to actually be able to make some money. So if you have a cap on the, the per person paying, then you have to make it up somewhere else, right? Um, so there are, there are just all these constraints that are real things in, in our life that, that feed into the equation to make our decisions that we may not be um, seeing as clearly as we could. So again, like trying to zoom out again and again, bigger picture to see what that is, is really helpful. So someone the other day was asking me, um, they came and they were tying in their figure eight follow through with a backup knot ahead of it. And I was like, well, you know, the classic conversation about do you need a backup knot or not? And I was explaining kind of the heritage of how we got to that, right? Like how we used to actually require a backup knot because we used to tie in with a bowline which was based on tying with a bull and run our waist without a harness on. Right. And so we had this progression that's feeding into, you're talking about like timeline, bigger picture being longer ago, longer ago um, that we had these techniques that have evolved and we just haven't quite kept up with the why behind those things all the time. Yeah. Scale and the why pretty key. I got a quote. Don't let the focus on the objective obscure the obvious. Right. I like that. A lot of times people just, it's like, it's right in front of you. It's a big picture thing here, you know, and it's, yes, it's... It, it, it amazes me like the obvious thing, Oh, the rock's wet. So therefore it'll be slippery. <laughs> you know, maybe you should have some more security in this system or whatever it is. So yeah. Kind of missing the forest through the trees. Got it. Yep. Oh, Silas, where are we at on this? Well, I don't know. Are there other pieces of this that you think are, are really pertinent? I think it's just more about understanding this scale piece in general, you know, and mm -hmm. once again, we're trying to build conceptual models for what we're trying to accomplish, right? Whether that's a social thing or a technical thing or a terrain piece or multiple days or whatever. And going macro allows us to help build that conceptual model. And then when we're in the field, we can start gathering the data that kind of like 
actually confirms or denies that conceptual model a bit. Um, and then I'm constantly, once again, refocusing on going macro once I get that new data to see if I'm on track, right? If this is still the right course to be on, or we're still in the right time, you know, whatever it is. Um, so I'm constantly yeah. zooming out. So, but to be honest, Silas, like, I don't really have a whole lot more to say about this in some ways. I mean, I could talk about it all the time. It's more about, I find it's useful for me to have these thought exercises with people you know, I've, we've given some examples, but it's kind of like going through this process. And, and like you said, as soon as you think you've gotten to the, the outermost ring, see if you can just take it one more, right, to kind of keep going down that thought process. And the cool thing is, the more you do this, the faster and easier it becomes. So it's almost automatic. So you can come up with some of these bigger, simpler answers more quickly which allows you to make decisions more quickly, which allows you to use less bandwidth, which allows you to like move through terrain better or safer or whatever the thing is. So it's a skill like all other ones that require practice and also some mentorship. So I know at least one good place to get that, Send Pro. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Ascend Pro is starting very soon. It's gonna be amazing. We have a, a really nice uh, cadre of guides in there right now and you can check it out if you are interested. I'm pretty easy to find. Um, Alpine logic, alpine-logic.com is on, is, uh, there's a website on there that would be helpful to look at that stuff. Nice. Um, but I think it'd be really interesting to like kind of develop some kind of, um, uh, kind of categories to look at in terms of zooming back out to help people. Um, and off the top of my head, like some of those categories you might consider zooming back out on are we talked about timing, right? Like kind of timing in both like a progression of your career sense, but also um, a seasonality sense. Uh, you could look at overall terrain scale. So different levels of terrain simply by looking at different maps. Um, what else comes to mind? I feel like I have a few more, but now I'm maybe losing them. Well, I mean, zooming out, like if we're kind of looking at that stuff, once again, like weather, like big picture things that mm -hmm. are happening. And certainly techniques too. I think that's, once again, understanding kind of the simpler things, the simpler building blocks of how we build systems allows us to create some solutions um, without, once again, drilling down too deep, too techy, too quickly, and, and, and therefore putting those blinders on, so. Yeah, I mean, in a guiding context, we, we talked about uh, ratio, of course. The other things I think about are just like land access in general. Um, like Baxter is a great example, right? Like they have certain road closures, certain times of years. <laughs> so it makes access either impossible or harder. Um, they have camping reservations. So you are, you are confined to having a trip during certain times of the year, um, based on availability, that sort of thing. Um, those things certainly will affect the bigger picture as well. Um, and I think about like in a guiding context, also like just my overall number of days in the field. Like I'm trying to reduce the number of days I have in the field in general slightly each year. So I do have more and more time and bandwidth to look at the bigger picture stuff and plan further ahead uh, and then be more rested and ready to go when I am in the field. Um, and we've kind of talked about it from like a, a safety standpoint and productivity standpoint, but it's also, it's also a big 
part of the experience overall, right? I mean, the reason that most of my guiding is one-to-one or two-to-one, like if I just ran four-to-one or six-to-one skills clinics all year, um, I would make way more money, right? But I tend to run one-to-one and two-to-one experiences because what people get out of those experiences, I think, is is exceptional, like truly exceptional compared to, yeah, learning some great skills, developing those techniques is awesome. Um, but the connection with people, the depth of experience really can be so much higher uh, in those in those low ratio scenarios. I mean, also just your experience tends to be more exceptional, right? I mean, we can't factor or we can't forget that piece. And it's interesting as we go more and more macro, how like a decision I might make two weeks ago, once again, it is a factor of all these other decisions, where I am in my career, how tired I am, all these things. But like, I want to have a good time. You know, I want to enjoy that space in the mountains. And we tend to do a lot of repetitive things in guiding. And if you can't find enjoyment in that because you're too tired or too stressed out or whatever, right? It, your clients won't enjoy it as much. So it, it is very interesting how this scale piece actually is so connective to all the things in our lives in general, but in the career itself. Um, and I think it's really yeah. important. I really value that experience piece now with people like, all right, if I have this ratio, I can go do something kind of stellar with these people, something really unique because it's small enough and I can maneuver them around whatever it is I'm trying to do to give them something absolutely special. And that will be really cool for them, but it will also be very cool for me. So which keeps me fired up. That's great. It's a good, a good concept and a good, a good thing to include in your daily habits, seasonal habits. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Thomas, maybe we should, maybe we should call it on that. Let's shut it down. I do have one more quote. One more quote. quote. One more quote. This is Henry David Thoreau. I particularly like this quote. Um, The question is not what you look at, but what you see. That's pretty deep. Well, sometimes I go deep. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, buddy. All right, Silas, thank you. So we uh, talk again. All right. Have a good day. You too.